please. The book of Malachi. You say, you're going to talk about tithing? Yes, I'm going to touch that, but don't worry, we've already received the offering, so you can relax and not get tense, because that is a part of this particular book, and I want to share just a couple things that uh, are important for us. I mentioned, by way of All Church e-letter, that today and, and, and next week it, it will end up being as well, I want to share some insight with you that I not only believe is timely, uh, but I, I think it's critical for our future as a people. And you know what? When we're talking about the church, how many of you know we're just not talking about bricks and mortar and the organizational structure and all the things that, that come together in order to form what we now describe today as the church? The Bible tells us that the church is when people are knit together by common vision, common faith, common purpose unto God. And that becomes the church. So, you can have a church without a building. You can have the church under a tent. How many of you know that? I mean, you can, you can have a church in an open field. You can have church in your living room. You can, you can have church in all sorts of places because the church isn't defined by the facility. The church is defined by its people. So when we're talking about God wanting to do something in the church, we automatically have to transition our minds to remember that God is wanting to do something in his people. And people certainly get dealt with individually. We all know that. But he works with us corporately as well. He works with us as a body. And so what I want to share with you this week, and this week basically is setting foundation for some things. And uh, as I began to prepare and and was beginning to write down, and if you could only understand how I go through this process, as I began to write some things down, I, I began to see that number one is it was going to take a lot longer than I had for one Sunday. And then number two is there was some foundation that I needed to set in you as a people. Some of you will know this instantly. Some of you this will be new. Some of you will need to be reminded. Some of you will need to be challenged. But as a body, I want to give us the best shot possible of of bringing everybody into what God would have for us in this hour. You know, when the Lord led his people from the wilderness into the promised land, the thing I'm always struck by was that they either all went in or none went in. And uh, there's something in my heart that always feels like I want to do my best shot possible in bringing everyone in. Now, I understand in, under a new covenant, it works just a tad bit different. But, but I want to bring everyone into the goodness of God. Can we say amen? amen. I, I mean, if you miss the goodness of God, it won't be because I didn't try. And it won't be because at times I don't just try dragging you. But I want you to come into the goodness of God. But ultimately, if you don't want that, that will be your choice. But I want to give us all that opportunity as a people to begin to hear from God and hopefully take those steps that we need to take in order to get there. I know we have numerous guests. I've been encouraged here in recent weeks. How many, how many people have come to see what we're about and what we're doing? And we're so happy that you're here. I'm also realizing I didn't know this. And so God bless those that have worked on our website. Dan Bearden, I think, has been one that has helped in this area of the iTunes. We've got a whole congregation. There's a legacy congregation growing through iTunes. I don't know if you knew that. But, you know, the messages are uploaded or downloaded. I don't know which way it's going, but somehow or another it's getting to iTunes and people are hitting iTunes and they're communicating with me and that's still just amazing to me. I realize I'm sort of a dinosaur when it comes to technology, but I'm just amazed. So I know there's iTunes listeners that are, are beginning to hear what we're sharing as well. 
And so I'm glad that everybody's listening. And my prayer is, especially as I talk to the ones here at Legacy who are linked to this local house, who declare this house to be their home, and they would say I'm their pastor. Um, I, I, I want you to be locked into, if you're a guest with us, whether you're here physically or whether you're listening via the internet, I want you to feel, I, I tell you what, I, I have to be careful I don't get my fingers into this too much because it, it can almost be unrighteous. But I'm, I'm believing God will lead you to a cause. Don't just get led to a church, get led to a cause. Get led to something you, could, you can give your life to and you can invest in. and Give yourself to something that 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you'll be glad you did. And so I'm just going to believe that God will just mess with your heart and he'll talk to you even about us and that you'll feel led here. I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I gave up on accidents years ago. I think you're here by providence. I don't think it's coincidental you got here. I think there's a providence in God that directs the steps of the righteous and he orders good works beforehand that we might walk in them and that we're here today. You're here today. If legacy is your home, you are here today because God brought you here. Are you with me? You may not even like me at this moment, but God still brought you here. Amen. So I think he's going to talk to us today. We're in a really good season, and I'm glad to be able to report that. And I could spend all morning giving you testimonies. And as I mentioned earlier, Tracy oftentimes will have numerous prayer and praise uh, reports with regards to how God has healed people's bodies and moved with regard to resource and did amazing things in their life. And we've talked about the young people and God doing things there and uh, older folk and everywhere in between. And so God is doing good, good things. And I feel about as good about ministry as I have in all of my life. So I'm going to share some things with you today that are based not so much even on concern or even with regards to a complaint. But I felt like the Spirit of the Lord asked me this question, and I figure this. If God asks me a pointed question, why should I be the only one to enjoy that moment? I think you ought to enjoy that as well. And this was the question. Will you settle for good when I'm calling you to great? Will you settle for good when I'm calling you to great? I began to think about that and I started to realize that the good is really the greatest enemy of the great. Now, I just want to share with you just something I I stumbled across the other day. I was was reading a a secular book. I enjoy that from time to time. and, And one of the first paragraphs in the book mentioned something that I'd never really considered before, but I thought that not only fits for business, man, that fits for the kingdom of God as well. Do do you know why we don't have great, why we don't have, let's say, just great relationships and great marriages? You know why? It's because when we get to good, we settle for it. You know why we don't have great schools? Now, it may not be true in Charleston, but if we just went across the country, it's because by and large... We probably have the best schools that exist today in the world, and and they're good by and large, but that's our problem. We never push on to great because we have so much good going on. And good really becomes the enemy of the great. Because once we have something that is good, we don't want to mess it up. 
You've heard the old phrase, haven't you? Don't mess with a good thing. Pastor, it's good. Don't mess with it. It's actually, it's functioning good. Don't, don't tinker with the thing. If we touch it, it might not be good anymore. But therein lies the problem because the good, I think at times, is the enemy of the great. And when you're serving God and you're participating in His vision in the earth and when you're attempting to walk out His purposes for your life, every now and then I, I, I have to come to you and remind you because He reminds me that we're not just serving a good God, we're serving a great God. Are you with me? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's just not good and He is that. But he's great. He's greatly to be served. He's greatly to be feared. He's great in all that he does. And it seems to me that anything he's involved in would, by its very association with him, want to be great. Wouldn't you think? Anything that would associate with the kind of God that that we served, I would think we would want to pursue the greatness that befits such a great God. So I've become convinced that God is not looking for a good people. He's creating a great people. God doesn't want a good church. He's raising up a great church. He just doesn't want me to give you a good message. He wants me to give you a great message. It's not about walking out and saying, well, that was a good service. God's wanting great services, great impact moments. And I realize that to get to great is not overnight. To get to great is not instantaneous. To get to great is not something that just magically appears one day. But greatness is pursued. Because greatness is in God. And you must pursue Him. You must seek Him. And so we as a people must begin to realize that we can have all sorts of good things that are going on. And there's no complaint in that. I'm I'm personally, I'd rather have good than bad. Amen? I mean, if that was your choice, then by golly, give me good. Because I, I want at least good stuff. But, but I want to challenge us to consider that, that God is great and He's not only calling us to do good, but He's calling us to believe Him for great things. Started reading through the Scripture and just kind of going through some biblical characters that I'm aware of. And, and I started to think about a couple of them. For instance, let me give you just an example. Nehemiah. Most of you know the story of Nehemiah. There came a moment that his... Detractors and others asked him to come down from the wall. That was the vision that God had given to him to restore the wall around ancient Jerusalem. And the call went out for Nehemiah to come down and to stop what he was doing for a moment in order to deal with what was taking place. And the phrase it says in the scripture is this from Nehemiah. He says, I cannot do that. I cannot come down for I am doing a great work. Now, that almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it, if you think about it? A little haughty, if you think about it. But he says, I'm not here. I'm, I, can't, I can't get detoured. I can't get distracted because there's a great thing that's going on here. He was not ashamed, but he just stated the fact that God had called him to do something great. I was reading again the life of Solomon. In fact, uh, it's not on the screen, so, so it's not going to flash up. But in Second Chronicles 2, verse 5. 2 Chronicles 2, verse 5, after he was installed as the king of Israel, it says that he begins to make these pronouncements. And of course, Solomon was known for his humility in the early days of his life. He was known for his wisdom. And yet he begins to declare certain things that certainly couldn't be contrary 
to his humility and wisdom. But he, but he begins to declare, and he says this, he says, the temple, the thing which I am called to do, the thing which God has designed me to do, this is what Solomon said. And God said that he was a, a humble man who asked for wisdom. Solomon stood up right after that and said, the thing that God has called me to do will be great, for our God is not ordinary. He is a great God. And so I believe, in that same vein, we are called to do something great. Are you called to do something great? I'm called to do something great. When my life's all said and done, I, I may do some good things, but would it not be neat to have been able to say, I expended my life apprehending that for which I was apprehended for, and God apprehended me for greatness. I know it feels funny at first, but get over it. God's called you to do something great. Not as the world oftentimes defines it, and I understand that. But he's called you to do something great, and he's called us all to do something great. But we're going to have to understand that it's not only believing it, which everything starts with our faith. But we've got to learn to say it. We've got to begin to position ourselves to receive it. We've got to begin to order our lives in order that it can come to us. And then we have to sacrifice for it. You understand greatness, greatness just, you just don't trip into greatness. You just don't one day stumble along and you just go, oh, I just stumbled into greatness one day. It doesn't work that way. That there are things that you do in your life in order that you might come to the place where God can begin to do great things in you. The same is true for a people. A church just doesn't stumble into it. A church just doesn't trip into it one day. A body of believers aren't just there and all of a sudden greatness just sort of happens to them and it springs on them and they weren't aware of it. But greatness is a, is a culture. Greatness is a mindset. Greatness is an atmosphere. Greatness, greatness is something that pounds in people's hearts that realizes they are called for something more than themselves. And when that greatness begins to find itself in the culture and in the atmosphere in the worldview, then God can begin to work in that and do something through that that causes that church to manifest or causes that ministry or people to manifest that which ultimately they were called to do. Uh, it, it's, it's been a couple weeks now, and I've already seen this movie twice, and I recommended it, I believe it was last Sunday. But, but uh, we went and saw the movie that was created by a, a Baptist church in Georgia that was called Facing the Giants. Anyone here seen Facing the Giants yet? I, if you hadn't seen it, I'm telling you what, you're, you, it won't win any Oscars, and I'll tell you why, it, they're just too blatant about Jesus. I mean, it won't, it won't win any Oscars, but I'll tell you what, it's a really good film. And uh, I was watching that film, watched it twice already, and it's about a Christian school that has a football program, and it's been struggling for numerous years. They have a football coach who desires to win, and and, and they just can't seem to win, can't get a winning record. He's been there now five, six years. And now the parents are irritated with him because he hadn't brought a winning program. And so he's got his enemies and his detractors that are trying to sort of run him out of the program and all the rest. And he reaches the place where he just has to get before God and seek God. And, and as he's seeking God and as he's going through all of this, that Christian school had a little old man who is known as their intercessor, and he would walk the hallways of that Christian school, and he would stop by each locker, and he would pray for the kids, and, 
and he was sort of the local intercessor. And, and there came a moment in the, in the film when uh, they were about ready to run this coach out of town and the intercessor shows up one day, this gentleman in the office, and he begins to prophesy to the coach. I thought that was cool on the big screen. He just prophesies. Now, you know, he didn't come in. He just says, I feel like the Lord told me to tell you this. I mean, his eyes didn't roll back in his head, you know, and he, you know. You know, he, he, you know, he did it the way he ought to do it. And uh, he started to share with that coach what the Lord had said, read to him some scripture and shared some things with him and walked out. And, and the coach ran him down in the hall and started to have this conversation. And I know I'm just hitting bits and pieces, but, but, but the most important part was, was when the coach looked at this man who was a prayer and he started asking him questions and he said, do you really think God would do this for me? Do you really think God would want us to be this way? Do you think God would want to turn this school around and send revival and turn this team around and help us to be victorious? And, and, and that intercessor looked at him and said, let me tell you two stories. He says, one story is about, well, actually one story of two men. One story is about a farmer. The other one's about a farmer as well. And both of them believed that God was going to send rain. That God was going to send rain on their crops. He said the one farmer did nothing. He just believed that God was going to send rain. The second farmer began to get his fields ready and began to prepare for the rain that he knew was coming. And he looked at the coach and he said, which, which of the two farmers do you believe had the greatest faith? And he said, well, I believe it was the farmer that began to prepare his field for the rain. And that intercessor looked at him and he said, coach, get your field ready. Get your field ready. Now, I guess if I could sum it up to you this morning, I've come to you this morning and I'm going to share next week that we need to get our fields ready. God's going to send rain. He's going to bring a harvest. It is said in my mind that his heart is toward this city. His heart is towards this world. He is going to send his spirit in the earth one more time to capture a global harvest, the likes of which we've never seen or may have ever experienced. He is not going to leave this historical time period, I, I believe, with anything less than what he started with. If you think the book of Acts was great, you haven't seen nothing yet. The latter is always greater than the former. He always ends bigger than he started. He's not ending. He's not ending with a whimper. He's ending with a bang. We're not going out of here with our tails between our legs, beat up, bruised, wondering if we can just sort of survive and make it, holding on to the fort. We're going out of here with the glory of God. We're going out of here victorious, overcomers, triumphant. There's going to be a move of God that's going to bring a harvest in and a great thing is going to happen in the earth and the question isn't will it happen, the question is whether we want to be a part of it or not. That's the question. God is great. Greatly to be praised. And if we're going to do great things and have great exploits and have great impact, then we're going to have to respond to God at times with, how many of you know, great faith. And then we're going to have to get the fields ready for the rain. Now, as we get our fields ready, I, I, I'm going to set some foundation here this morning. And I'm not trying to tease you. I, I really started with the word that was in me with regards to what I'm going to share next week. And I'm not trying to tease you, I promise you, I tell you. But, I can't, I, but then it just dawned on me, I can't bring you to a promise unless you get your foundation right. 
I can't bring you to something that God has said in his word that he will do if there are other features of our existence that aren't in order. Are you with me? It's kind of like building this great building, but you, but you don't sink it into the foundation, right? And so you can have this wonderful big building and then the, 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 the smallest of, of wind gusts come by and, and it just blows the building over. Are you with me? So, so you got to dig a little bit and you got to set something into the ground first you say, well, pastor, you do that a lot. I know I do. I know I do. But I got you on this one. Because this one we're going to talk a little bit about resource. Because that was the issue in Malachi. Because God wanted to bring these people to greatness. And in order to understand how he's going to do it. And I'm going to share a couple of things. That just this week, God just opened my eyes to a couple of things that I've never seen before. I've been preaching the gospel since I was 19 years old. I'm 47. Added up. I've read my Bible through more times than I can count. And I'm telling you, there are some things that leapt out to me in this area that I have never seen before. Get your pen, your pad, I get, I don't know, get the website up when you go home, but get it in your system because if we don't get this one, we can't, we, we're not moving to great. And I'm going to show you exactly why it works here starting in the book of Malachi. So turn to the book of Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 through 12 I'm going to read. I think the lesson I put on the screen this morning, I've entitled, A Revelation of the Need for Resource. How many of you know to do something great takes resource? There are some of you right now that, that you, you're doing your own business, you've got your own job, you've got your own futures, and, and you have so many great ideas, but you've got to have some resource. I, I mean, that's, that's not negative, it's just kind of how it works. There are all sorts of things we could do if we had, re, if we had people resource, money resource. If we had building resource, I mean, you could, you could do anything if you had the resource for it. And, and I'm not ashamed to say, but greatness has a little bit to do with resource. It's not totally resource, but it has something to do with it. And I, and I want to share this with you, Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Come on now, everybody touch their ears. I know it'll feel funny, but if we all do it, then we'll all feel just normal, okay? Touch your ears right now. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know you can anoint teaching, but now I pray you anoint hearing. I pray, Lord, that you would put eye salve on our eyes, that you would anoint our ears to hear, that we might understand what the Spirit is saying to the church, and that, Lord, we might receive it. The pastor can get excited, but it needs to get in us and ignite something in us. Lord, ignite in this people what you're beginning to ignite in me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 6. Malachi 3, it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Which basically, what, what he's saying right here is this. You'd have been toast by now it not, if it weren't for the fact that my mercy lasts from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. I don't change. Praise God. Isn't that good to know? Isn't it good to know that you could just flat out be stiff-necked and God it hasn't toast you yet? Now, let me just say, he's, he's long-suffering, but not eternally suffering. All right, so don't put it off. I am the Lord. He says, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Now, listen to what he says. Return to me, and I will return to you. That's underlined in my Bible. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you need to get something right that you know you need to get right, and if you'll get it right, I'll come back to you. 
Now, I understand the theology that says we can't reach out to God, and when we couldn't reach out to him, he reached down to us. I understand that. But there comes a moment that if you're functioning as one of God's people, and, and you're not functioning according to design, what God says is this. God says, you need to get it right in, in order for me to get back into your equation. You need to put some things in order. Let me read on. But you said, this is the people now at the end of verse 7, in what way shall we return? This is interesting. Then he goes, verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with the curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now, or test me now, he says in this. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing that there'll not be room enough to receive it, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, verse 12. Listen, and all nations will call you blessed. Verse 12 really is is almost an evangelism outreach great harvest verse. For all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now I want you to get a hold of this. These words are some of the last words that God will speak to his people for over 400 years. Think about that. Think about God speaking to his people. It's going to be silent for 400 years. What would you leave with your people? You're not going to say anything again for four centuries. What are the last words that you would say? Think about the last words you might say. If you weren't going to speak ever again, there was going to be this long, lengthy time period. And so what he does is, is that God begins to address the problems and the issues, which, to be candid with you, in the book of Malachi are so many you can't even count them. I mean, I mean they're bringing sickly animals to be offered. They're, they're living in paneled houses, and, and God's house is in, in, uh, in disrepair. There's all sorts of things that are going on with regards to problems and issues. But the bottom line is this, to God. He sees all these things, but this is the bottom line. He says... You've closed the windows of heaven. You've closed up the windows of heaven to your life. You've closed up the windows of heaven to the nation. And now you find yourself fruitless. You find yourself frustrated. And what happens is, is that God says, as in this whole passage and and other verses as well, you've closed up the windows of heaven. And it's interesting because if you were to read on, they blame God for it. They look at God and they're mad at God and they say, God, you've closed up the heavens. You don't bless like your word says you'll bless. You aren't helping like the word says you'll help. You aren't doing like we all know is your nature to do. And they're mad at God. But hear me very carefully. When God deals with us, he's not wanting to withhold. He's not wanting to somehow draw back. He's wanting to do good, great incredible, exceeding things in our life, but we've got to get it in our system. God is not obligated to move in our life when we're trying to make him adjust to us. He says, I'm going to tell you why everything's closed up. And it has to do somewhat with what I've shared with you in these verses. Now, I also want you to notice they were here doing church. Amen? I mean, they they were still doing worship they were still coming to temple they were still offering sacrifices they were doing church just like we did today they were coming to the house of god they were receiving communion they were worshiping god praising and worshiping they were doing all the things that we do hear me good things 
But get this, all of these good things were taking place, but the windows of heaven had been closed. So are you with me? So you understand, you can do good things and the windows of heaven be closed. You can do good things and and, and there's nothing pouring through by way of resource. You can do good things and and everything in the heavens can be shut down. And and so they have enough sense to at least ask when God begins to deal with them in verse 7. And he says, return to me. And they ask, in what way shall we return? And the Lord said something. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If you're a guest, I, I, you know, I mentioned last week, I, I touched on it just a little before the offering. I know sometimes church and some preachers have a reputation for talking a lot about money, finance, and resource. Sometimes I hate it as much as you do. And can I also just share this with you, and my wife will bear witness to this, in this area I hate having sometimes to deal with it because I know what goes through people's minds. But it's interesting to me that as you begin to talk about this, how much the Bible touches on it and the relationship that gets there. And and I have to just share with you as I was reading this, and it leapt out to me that when they began to ask, in what way shall we return, the Lord said something here that was completely foreign to my thinking. He doesn't say, he says, get on your knees and pray. He doesn't say, you need to get your Bible out and start reading it more. He doesn't say all the things that we classically answer with regards to how do we return to God. What he says here is, he says, I want to talk to you just for a moment about your money. Now, does that kind of seem funny? He he says, I want to talk to you about your money. And specifically, he says, I want to talk for just a moment about the tithe. Now, this message is not about tithing, but I can't get through it unless I touch it just for a minute. Now, for those of you that may not be aware, the tithe is what God asks of his people. It is 10% of how God increases you. Now, now you need to understand just a couple of things with regards to the tithe. And I've heard this through the years. I've heard people say all kinds of things. It's taught this way and that way and the rest. I'm going to share just a couple quick things about the tithe that are just important so we can all get this in our system real quick. Number one is, tithing is not under the law. You say, really? Yes, because Abraham was bringing his tithe to Melchizedek 500 years before the law was ever instituted. So you need to understand that that even before the law was, was instituted, that there was a tithe happening. In fact, it's also interesting to note that even as you get into the New Testament, of all the things that Jesus was nailing the Pharisees on, the one affirming thing that he said to the Pharisees, and I find this fascinating, and I'm going to come back to this point in just a minute. The one thing he affirms, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of that day, they, 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 they blew it in just more areas than we can count, but the one thing he affirms them in is their tithing. He says, rightly did you tithe, dill, mint, and cumin. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the weightier things. So he actually affirms them in that regard. Now I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Um, but having said that, he wants to talk about, he wants to talk a little bit with them about their finance. Now, I'm just going to share this with you. Tithing, tithing was not their sacrificial gift. Tithing was their obedient response. Now, now, this is really good. I'm going to give you some examples. For instance, if I'm married, I'm, I'm married to Trace, been married for nearly 25 years now, and, and, and I look at my wife and say, honey, I want you to know, I want you to know that I am not running around, sleeping around on you. It's a sacrifice. 
Yeah. If I was still alive after that. It's a sacrifice. But I will do that. You know what? You're, you're all laughing, because so I know you get it, right? You're going, sacrifice. That's what's expected in that relationship, right? That, that's just a bottom line, 101 relationship expectation. Uh, you know, unless you're in Utah somewhere, or, you know, I mean, this is 101. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, p- people go, I want, you to, I, mean, I want you to know, God, I'm not going to cheat on my taxes anymore. It's a sacrifice. I really sacrifice. How many of you know? You don't steal. You don't cheat. You don't lie. And when you enter into that, and you don't do those things, let's say his commandments... It's not a sacrifice that's called obedience. Amen? That's obedience. I've had single people come to me before and they say, I'm sacrificing unto God. I'm not sleeping around with other people anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you'll be... That's obedience. Obedience. So i got to get obedience into you just for a moment. Do you understand that when we do what God asks us to do, we're not sacrificing anything. We're obediently responding to someone we call Lord and Master. He's in charge. You're with me now. So you got to understand that when we get to this place of the tithe, you got to understand that that this is not some sacrifice. This is an obedient act. This is, this is how God says, I want you to begin to do this in order that you can signify to me my ownership because God owns everything. God gave you your job. God gave you your business. God gave you your resource. It's God that gives you breath. It's God that opens doors and closes doors. Walmart doesn't write your check. Your employer doesn't write your check. You've got to understand God gave you that check. It's not something you, you, you absolutely deserve. It's something that God gave to you. You're here and not toast because God's great mercy. we got to get that in our system. God has given us these things. And this is foundational. Now, now listen to me. So he ends, listen, he ends the Old Testament beginning to talk about this area. This is how he ends it. Are you with me? The Old Testament ends on this subject. For years, I always wondered why God chose the time period he did in order to send his son into the earth. Paul would later say in Romans, in the fullness of time, or in other words, when everything was in order, when everything began to be in the place it needed to be, I will send my son. How many of you know that when Jesus came, there was a major opening in the heavens? I, I, I could prove this, and I've got to do this real, real fast. But do you realize that when Jesus was born, there was such revelation in the earth? That all of Jerusalem was abuzz with this sense of revelation that something different was happening? People were talking about the Messiah like they'd never talked about before. It had been 400 years, everything had been quiet. But now all of a sudden, there was spiritual activity. There was a stir going on in the earth. Something was happening. Magi were, were getting vibes from the stars and so they began to travel things were beginning to converge and i said to myself one time why was it that he chose that particular period why didn't he just wait maybe 25 years why didn't he wait 100 years 
Why did he wait 400 years? Or for that matter, why didn't he wait another 1,000 years or 2,000 years? Why, why was it at that particular time period? And it suddenly dawned on me as I began to think about that. For all the things the religious system was doing wrong, they weren't tithing here at the end of the Old Testament, and the Pharisees were a joke in some ways, but Jesus said, you got your tithe down. Are you with me? Now, I'm not advocating all their other issues. I'm just simply saying, all of a sudden, God says that this particular area is what opens up the heavens. Are you getting this? And all of a sudden, even a corrupt religious system suddenly, somehow, gets back to what God ended that with, and suddenly he says, okay, now I can begin to open up the heavens and begin to do a work. Are you, are you hearing what I'm, are you getting what I'm saying? There was something that happened at that particular moment that was like a key that unlocked the heavens, and God began to move. Jesus shows up. God begins to do his work in the earth. Now, you may say to yourself, like you can buy God off or something? Like, like Pastor, help me here. Okay, I'm going to help you. For some reason, and we'll, we'll all get to talk to God about this someday, for some reason, he has linked... He has linked spiritual activity to our finances. He really has. Now, I, I didn't make that up. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not on TV. You'll see my picture on the internet, but I ain't on no TV, okay? So understand me right now. I've already taken the offering. We're not taking another one. I'm, I'm trying to get a precept in you so I can talk next week about how to get to greatness. But there's a spiritual side of this that few people recognize. Guys, I, did, you, did you throw these up, Luke 16, 11? Do you have that back there in the thing? Jerry, did you happen to get that up? Luke 16, 11, look at this. It says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and, and that's the biblical phrase for money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Some of your versions will actually say true spiritual riches. In other words, I'll interpret this verse quickly. He says, if we don't understand how, how finance works, not only in the earth, but in, in, in the kingdom, if we don't understand how this stuff works, he says there's going to be a withholding or, or a, a circumventing or a cutting off of revelation, spiritual happening in our life. I didn't say it. It's in red. Go check out your red letter edition. Jesus said this. He says if, if something in there isn't happening, he says true spiritual riches and revelation cannot be released. Turn to 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. Can you run that up there? Getting there? All right. 1 Timothy 6.10. Here we go. For the love of money, it says, is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. Isn't that interesting? In their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows or many evils, some of your version will say. So it's, it says to us, if there's, if there's an unrighteous or an unprioritized love in this particular area, that what happens is, is that something in our life begins to be opened up and evil can begin to come in. So I want you to understand right now that there is a connection between spiritual happening and even your finance. Matthew 6.21. Are we there? Great. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you begin to see when you look at your checkbook registers or you begin to look at where your money goes to, you can begin to see a little bit of what's in your heart, Jesus says. And, and think about it just for a moment. How many times in his teaching he underscored spiritual truth with it? 
He used the talents, the servants with the talents, that was money. The minas, that was money. He used the parable about the pearl of great price and somebody selling all that he had in order to get the pearl of great price. How many of you know that he teaches us on forgiveness with regards to a man who didn't know how to handle his money? There were widow, widow's mites. There was the rich young ruler, which I always found interesting how God worked on that rich young ruler because he didn't ask the rich young ruler anything that he hadn't asked the rest of the disciples to do. In fact, we don't know to this day if he'd not, if he'd not obeyed the Lord in asking him to sell everything that God wouldn't have restored everything back to him 30, 60, 100 fold. We'll never know the end of that story. But even in our text, it says here, it says in Malachi that, that, that God says, return to me has something to do with our finance. And, and it says here in these verses, I'm just reading out of the Bible, that our money is the key to breaking curses. Our, our finances are the key to opening the windows of heaven. Our finances are the key to rebuking the enemy. That's what it says. I didn't read that wrong, right? I mean, it says that right there. Now, let me just say this, and I'm getting to where I need to be going. I understand that when a pastor talks about finance and money, it is the most sensitive and touchy of subjects because we feel like he's talking about our money. But that's the problem. You got to get down in your heart. Whose is that again? Come on now, whose is that again? Come on now, get in, let that get in your heart. That's the issue. We don't like hearing this stuff. Why? Why, why would that bother me? Why would that bother me to, to hear about what God could use my resources for? To reach a world, to see people saved and brought into the kingdom and, and delivered and set free. Why would that bother me? It shouldn't bother me unless somehow I feel like something's being taken away from me. That's very important. And the problem is, if that's what begins to move in your heart, now I'll never know, listen to me, I'll never know, you, you and God are the only ones that will ever know this, if that's what moves around in your heart, that somehow or another you don't like that ever to be talked about or touched or even mentioned, it's just sensitive and touchy, then can I just share this with you? This is what God spoke to me years ago, then you don't have a revelation. You just don't. Because if you think it's yours, well, I'll guarantee you, you won't take it with you. Have you ever heard what they asked Rockefeller one time? His great-great-granddad? They, they said, how much money do you need in order for it to be enough? And his answer was, and of course he was a billionaire in times when billions of dollars even meant more than today. They said, how much money would be enough? And he said, just a little more. And they should have asked him, you know how much you can take with you? Absolutely none. Absolutely zero. And you need to understand that, that it's within that context that God begins to speak to them because they didn't have a, a revelation. And what God begins to say using that, he says, you've got to begin to position yourself. And this is the interesting thing, that, that within the context of your finances, you can have an ability to position yourself to be blessed. But you have to align yourself in order for that to begin to happen. So listen to me, I can't talk to you about greatness. I can't talk to you about moving under the windows of heaven and God doing something exceedingly abundantly. I can't talk to you about apprehending and seizing and grabbing until we have, we have people 
here that are willing to say, you're right, pastor, and I'm going to make sure that I am aligned in such a way that when the pipeline flows, it doesn't have to splash and touch me. I'm under the faucet. Amen. Now, I, I want you to see something here. Let me ask you a question. How many, how many of you, if you had a choice, and your choice was, I want to be blessed or I want to be cursed? How many, how many of you would prefer blessing? I would prefer to be blessed. Okay, I'm with you. Good. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to get something that you understand. Deuteronomy 11. Turn to Deuteronomy 11. I'm going to read this. This was, this was interesting. There's, there are two positions in the earth. Two positions you can be in. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. It says this. It says, behold, I set before you today. Everyone say, that's me. So he, before you and me. It's, it's before you, it's before me, it's before everybody. I set before you today a blessing and a curse. I can tell you right now where God's going. Smart guy. Dumb guy. With me? The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now jump to chapter 30 in the same way. I want to read two quick verses there. It says this, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. He says it again. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and then he goes on and says one more time, walk in the commands I've told you to walk in. Don't let your heart turn from me. Verse 19, but this is what he says. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Now, here's the key to all of this that I'm getting to. You know, I can't, I can't make anybody, I, I, you know what, I have reached a place I, after it's taken me 25 plus years to realize this. You can't make anybody do anything. So I just relieve you of thinking I, can make, I can't make you do anything. Your choice, however, is in your ballpark as to where you want to position yourself in the economy of God. Now, I've had people say to me through the years, they say, well, you know, I don't buy that. God blesses me all the time. God just blesses me here, blesses me there. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have to function under that stuff, that tithing or that giving. Let me just tell you, you aren't positioned for blessing. You're just, you've positioned yourself for acute mercy all the time. It's just like the person that's out there that's just sinning, 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 and they'll say, there is no God. I'm not dead yet. I'm still breathing. I got a good job, making good money. I live my way, I do what I want, I don't serve God, don't go to his house, don't care anything about God, and I'm still around. Well, it's not because you're blessed, it's because you're living on mercy. Are you hearing me? So you can walk around and maybe God is blessing you, but it's not because you positioned yourself for blessing, it's because the mercy of God is keeping your nose above water. But the question is, how long can you tread water? For me, I don't want to have to tread water if someone will come up alongside me whose stick is closer than a brother who said that he'd position me under the blessing. So, so I'm going to talk about what, what goes on here. Let's, I'm going to talk about a misconception here for just a minute. Until recently, I've always read these verses in Malachi. If we go back to Malachi, I've always read these verses 
and walked away. This is how I think. I mean, maybe you don't think this way, but this is how I think. I thought to myself that somehow or another, if I didn't tithe or I didn't do what I was supposed to do somehow or another, that, you know, I was, I was, I was taking from God and, and I, was, I read that in verse 8 that I was somehow robbing God and I was taking something from him that was his. I want to I relieve you of something that I just finally came to the awareness of and that is God doesn't need your little bit of change that you throw at him. God doesn't need it. God doesn't, God doesn't need anything. Do you understand for God to be God, he doesn't need anything. He, he can get anything he wants anytime he wants, and he'll get it from you. I'd just soon you give it to him obediently than him just grab it from you. But he'll get it. But nonetheless, I had this idea in my mind that God somehow was going to be cash-strapped. That he was going to be in debt. That, that, that somehow or another he was... He was short on income. God had a, had a deficit. God was running in the red and somehow God, God needed me to step up to the plate. I needed to help God out here somehow. I'm just going to say it out loud. God does not need any of our money. You say, well, well, why'd you take an offering then? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to absolutely tell you. God doesn't need our money. We need an open heaven. Are you with me? It isn't about God needing anything from us. We need to understand that we've got to be in a position that he can release resource. You know, it's fascinating to me how if, if we're going to build a house, uh, let's say personally, or we're going to enter into something that we need to access some finance. It's interesting to me how, for instance, we'll go to the bank. Now, I've done this several times because I've sold and purchased a couple of houses and so I've gone through this process, and some of you have as well. Some of you, just to, to access a, a little credit so you could do some things, and, you know, not all debt, just, I, I understand debt isn't good, but not all debt's necessarily wrong, and so I'm not here to teach about debt. But I am here to say it's interesting to me how we'll go down to the bank, right down here on the corner, and we'll walk in and we'll say, I need to access some money in order to accomplish something. And the bank will look at us, and they'll start handing forms ad infinitum. I mean, you'll get a stack of forms. I'm just, I'm just wanting a $250 credit line. You know, that's all. And, you know, they'll give you forms. And, they'll just throw, and, so, and let me just say this. You better fill out all your forms. If you've never gotten a loan for a house sometime and you don't see what all goes in that file, they want stubs, tax forms. They want this and that. And you're signing papers here, there, and everywhere. And you ain't going to get a dime until you get all that paperwork in and you follow the system that they have designed in order to access that which ultimately you're needing to get a hold of. And it's amazing. You and I will stumble down to the bank and they'll start throwing this stuff out at us and we'll just kind of go, yes, sir, no, ma'am. And we'll do it in order that we can access that. But when it comes to God, our view is this. I ain't doing nothing. I ain't doing God. Here I am. Just bless me and be good. I ain't, I ain't rising up. I ain't doing nothing. I, hey, I've got, I've got folks that won't get, hardly go out and get a job. Won't work, even though the, God says if you don't work, don't eat. That's God. I'm just simply saying it's amazing to me how we do these things, and all of a sudden we, we, have, we have just blindly accepted the, the economic system of the world and how it's done, but when it comes to God, we say, ha, I can yank God around any way I want. No, we can't. You've got to understand his precepts and understand how he works in order to get the promise 
in order to get the, the, the repercussion, the, the great repercussion that he can have. Can I just tell you this, that God wants to bless his people. God wants to prosper his people. God wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing we can't contain. God wants to rebuke the devourer. God wants to take the curse off your land. God wants you to begin to function like Abraham of old did, who was actually a fairly significantly wealthy person. He wants you to have some good things in life. I preach to you the goodness of God, but we have got to position ourselves in order that that can flow through us. Folks, I'm not trying to get it from you. I'm trying to get it to you. Are you hearing me? God has order. We want him to bless us and resource us when we're not positioned. But this is the part that I suddenly understood. How do we rob him? Listen to this. It's not the way you think. Listen to this. There are three ways God is robbed. God's not robbed by you not giving. This is what God's robbed of. Number one, he is robbed of the opportunity to open up the windows of heaven. Do you understand? His nature is to do. His nature is to give. His nature is to bless. That's obvious. It, it, to me, it's obvious because even when we're disobedient, he's still good to us. Even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. God's nature is to do these things. But do you understand that when we decide, I don't want to do precept, I don't want to do what he says, then we are robbing God of the opportunity to open up the windows and pour us out something that not only gets upon us, but Deuteronomy 28 says will overtake us. I tell you where I'm going. I tell you where my household's going. We're just not going to walk in the blessing. I want the blessing to overtake me. I want the blessing to go, go here, there, and everywhere. Now, because here's my choice. Smart guy. Dumb guy. With me? My choice. I've set before you blessing or cursing. My choice. It's my choice. I have, I'm choosing blessing. Because you know what? I think I can do more with a blessing than, than, than I can do with poverty. Can I just share this with you? And people don't understand this. They want the church to be impoverished. You know why? If we're impoverished, we can't do anything. If we're impoverished, there's nothing we can do to help the world. But they want to keep us. That's the enemy wants to keep us impoverished. Because they know that if they can keep us cash-strapped, if they can keep the blessing out of the house of God, that's why you'll hear them complain about preachers and servants of God and churches, and you'll hear them sneer at this and that and the other. I tell you, every time that comes up, I've just determined, I want to see your contributional charitable record. What are you doing to solve problems? What are you doing to help people? They, you may not like what I do, but I still think I've got the only solution that's absolutely going to work in the earth. You may not like it or, or think it's worthy of support, but I'm here to tell you, Washington, D.C. gets 40% of my income, and they're messing it up. And we don't think twice about that. So we rob God of this opportunity to open up the windows of heaven. We, he says, test me. It's the only time. Test me and see if I won't do it. Number two, he is robbed. Do you understand he is robbed from the opportunity of kicking the enemy out of your circumstance? The enemy wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's not the preacher, the pastor, the church that's trying to take from you. It is the enemy that's trying to take from you. He's sucking you dry. And you need to understand that can be stopped, but it happens when we trust God. Number three, he's robbed from the curse that's over your life. God's nature is to bless you so much that you can't contain it. 
God doesn't want anybody functioning under that. He has implemented precept to break that. If you choose, hear me now, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything here if you don't want to. You don't have to. Don't have to do it. It's your choice. But understand that when you position yourself in that way, you'll never get from breaking even and the status quo and keeping your nose above the water and, and, and much less move to great. God's going to get me to great. If I get to great, it's not going to be because of me or who I am. It's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. I believe I'm headed there. You may not understand my motives. You may think I'm out to lunch, but I'm going to great. And in order for me to go to great, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we choose as best we can to function. We're going to trust God. I'm here to tell you, I'd just as soon trust God and go down than to trust Washington, D.C. or DSS or any other social service organizations. I'd just as soon trust God and fail than trust man and somehow barely slide by. So I'm going to make sure I'm in a position to get that from him. Amen. Now I'm trying, I know I'm intense right now, but I'm trying, I'm hoping it's getting revelation in people. Because we've got to go from good to great. We have done good as a congregation. I'm going to affirm you, and I have a thousand times. We have done some incredible things. I don't have to remind you. I can remember when we did this whole place. There were, some of you stepped up and you, you bought things in different areas for this, for this place that we are at. And that was incredible. You went over and above the call of duty. And I want you to know that was incredible. And I, I prayed and I'm believing that God's still blessing because of those sacrificial gifts and, and, and those obedient actions that took place. We had to raise money as a congregation to get from where we were even to get here. And, and we were wondering how we were going to do it. And, whether we'd have to go into debt and we were able to, to take offerings and, and, and the money came in and we did all this. Everything we have today is debt free. We don't owe any man anything. I mean, that's good. That's good stuff, is it not? I mean, that's good. We can, we can open up the building, turn on the lights. We can pay the bills. This ship isn't sinking. It's not crashing. We're doing good. But you know what? Good is not the pinnacle. Good is not what God's called us to do. He has called us to do a great thing. Great things. God wants that for us. Then we've got to begin to move and position ourselves. And truth of the matter is, while we do good stuff, this is the one area, this is the one, the resource area is the one area I've begun to pray about that we need breakthrough in. We just, we need some breakthrough in this particular area. Now, I know what people say. They say, Pastor, Pastor, don't rock the boat. It's going good. I'm going to rock the boat because I'm not settling for good. We're going for great. I'd rather die going for great. Hear me now. Wouldn't you rather give it all up going for great than just treading water and staying at good? That's where I am. I want to see God do something great. And I believe he wants to bring us through a breakthrough. He wants us to access some things. That, that he can begin to use and work through to his glory. He's going to take us to his vision. We're here to reach a city, folks. If you thought that was just a trite little vision phrase, I'm here to tell you, Charleston needs Jesus. West Ashley needs Jesus. The islands need Jesus. The tri-county area needs Jesus. Now, and let me just say, our household, I know our household has been positioned for 25 years. We've positioned ourselves underneath the spout of God in order that the heavens would be opened up. And can I just share with you today that God has abundantly blessed us. 
He's helped us send our children where they've needed to go. We've not accrued debt in doing it. He's enabled us to live in really nice accommodations. And I think we do pretty good in life. And I have nothing to complain about. I am, I am immensely blessed. And I believe a part of that is because I've determined that's where I'm going to live. And our life right now, if you got Trace up here, we looked at you, we'd say our life is good. We have a good life. We've got good kids and, and, and we've just, we're just in a good place in life. And I've got nothing to complain about. And there's something in me that says, don't rock the boat. Don't even talk about this subject. You talk about this subject and someone might not like it and, and they may go, eh, well, that's all they talk about there. And, and so don't even talk about it. But you know what? I'd rather go down shooting for great than treading water just being good. We've got to make those decisions. And I need as many of you as possible to agree with me. Now, I know many do already. I'm not saying you don't. I know many people in this congregation get this. I understand that. But what I need is I need all of us to get something in our spirits, to get under an open heaven. And that's going to be the foundation in understanding where we're going to move to the next level. There are people in this congregation that are being called to greatness. I mean, I've got people right now that are doing things in their jobs and they're doing things in their careers and they're doing things in their businesses that are positioning themselves for greatness. I want you to hit greatness. I don't want you just to have a good business. You should have a great business. I mean, I could pull you out right now. I could go across this whole, whole congregation and I can see people right now. I know you've done certain things to position yourself for God to do some influential, great things in your life. But I'm just, I'm just sharing with you, not because you aren't doing what I've already shared this morning, but I'm just sharing with you this fact that God is calling you. He's calling me. He's calling us in this hour to move from the good place to the great place. He's calling us to move where it's all easy and, and, and we understand it. And he's calling us to move to that place where we're a little bit tentative, but it's the place he can move. And we've got to get it all under his ownership, all under his command and hand. And I'm just encouraging you right now. I'm going to share this next week. The point I need to get to, because you can't get to next week until this gets in your system. And I want all of you to be in it. I could preach the word that I got next week, and, and I could, and everybody hoot and holler and yell amen and all the rest. And some of you wouldn't walk in it because we haven't got this one down. So I'm sharing this with you so it gets into your system. You can get this in your system. And if you haven't made those commitments to position yourself, I'm just not talking about even the tithe. I'm talking about positioning yourself in your full obedience, positioning yourself so God can move in your life, positioning yourself so the windows will stay open and the, uh, the, the devourer will be rebuked. Folks, I want that, but as much as I want that for you, you've got to want that for you. Do you want that for you? I can preach and teach and sweat and we all go home. But unless we say, I want that, I want that, I want that. And next week is what I'm getting to you for my household. We've already talked about this in our household. And I'm going to share a little bit next week about what God may be leading you into as well. And we'll find out. But I just believe it is time. The hour is quickly approaching. That we're going to have to, as a congregation, make that next leap. Make that next step. He gave us a season of rest. You know, we worked hard, did we not? To go from the Fort Johnson Civic Center to Legacy One. I mean, I, can I just remind you of Legacy One? We had, a, we had a section over to my right 
that when it rained, you could have a baptismal service over in that place. Some of, some of you don't know the fire marshal came by. And you want to talk about God giving us favor? You don't even know that story. He had to favor us. We couldn't even paint the walls because the fire marshal said if we painted the walls, he'd come back to see me. So we didn't paint the walls. And we knew we had to leap somewhere else, so God opened up this through some providential, miraculous ways. He opened this up to us. Some of you got on scaffolding and you spray painted and and you painted and you put things up and you gave and you were here on work days and all the things that it took to make this place happen. And I tell you, it's been good. Amen. It's been cool in the summer. It's been warm in the winter. And I'm glad for it. But there comes a moment that we don't rest on just what has happened. We've got to press forward into destiny. You've got to press forward into your cause. You've got to press forward into that which God apprehended us for. And this is just the introduction. That's just, that's just point one introduction. So would you stand with me please right now? I'm going to pray for you right now. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I want you just to commit to God. And I'm going to look though. I, I, not that I'm going to come talk to anybody. I won't come run you down or anything like that. But with every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want anyone looking around. I want, I want you, you know, we, we in the church oftentimes throw up all the time. We say, well, you know, this is between me and God. God knows my heart. This is between me and God. And then when I ask everybody to close their eyes and not look around, that which was between you and God, you want to see what everyone else is doing. So I want you to just, right now, you and God, you and God, just you and God. Are you willing, with his help, now I understand, he's going he's gonna to touch and talk and mess around in your heart and life. Well, welcome, welcome to the world of a disciple. That's what God does. He messes around in our lives, trying to get us to trust him more, to walk with him more, to draw near, get closer, seek him, live all out, be passionate. Some of you right now, your, your lives, they're, they're painful, they're they're not even, you would say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I'd describe it as good at the moment. Well, I've got great news for you. You can turn that around if you decide that starting today you want to position yourself for God's blessing. To position yourself. It's not, it's not the question is no longer, why isn't God moving in my life? For some of you, the question is, when are you going to position yourself? in obedience. When are you going to position yourself? I don't question that somehow you love him. I believe the people in Malachi's day probably if asked the same question would say they love the Lord too. But the question is whether or not we'll position ourselves. I, see, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to check on you. Listen to me. I, I, had a, I had a friend years ago when I was at Evangel Cathedral who was at a church and they would actually, they would actually send him out and go collect the tithe door to door. And he said when it came time to do that, he'd put on a black trench coat with sunglasses. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, it worked great. Well, I'm not going to put on a black trench coat and sunglasses or find some guy named Guido to come knock on your door. 
Because ultimately, ultimately, you're right, it is the heart. God knows your heart, absolutely. Where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. He knows exactly. So you're right, it, it's, it, it's up to you. But that's the choice right now. Are, do you want to be positioned for greatness? Now, now, greatness just isn't the biggest, the largest, the glitziest. Greatness, greatness is when you make an impact, a kingdom impact. When lives are changed and transformed. I understand. You know what? I'm to the place now I don't have to defend what greatness means. Buildings to me are tools. Budgets are tools. But it's about impact and what we can do and where we're going and how we're going to get there. What we need in order to apprehend folks for the kingdom. I understand that now. But my question to you is this. Are you ready? Are you ready to be positioned? With every head bowed, every eye closed. I mean, if you got to just squint your eyes so you don't open them. I just want you right now, you and God. And right now, before the Lord, just lift your hand up and say, Lord, I'm positioning myself. Maybe you have been. Just reaffirm it. I'm positioning myself for a blessing. I'm positioning myself right now. Lord, I'm, 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 to the best of my ability, I'm going to be responsive to you. I'm returning and letting you. Lord, do as your word says. Just keep it up there. Just say, Lord, that's me. That's me. That's me. This morning, that is me. Put him down. Father, right now, you saw, you saw your people. These are your people, Lord. And truly, it is between them and you. And Lord, all I can do is prepare them because I believe the hour is incumbent and upon us that he is calling us as, a, as individuals and as a body to that next place in you. And Lord, we've got to get our lives. We've got to get everything in order. We've got to understand that you're calling us to circumscribe our lives and to walk holy and uncommon. You're calling us to put in order our areas of relationships. You're calling us to get our financial works in order. You're calling all of this. It's not overwhelming. You're calling us to it. We can do this. You're empowering us to do this. And Lord, I pray right now for this people. Because Lord, they have. They have arose. They have done that. Lord, we have done things together as a group. That, that was just unbelievable. You have called us and we have responded and we've got to this place, not of our own effort or ingenuity, but because you opened the doors. And Lord, I recognize that. And Lord, I pray once again that, that everyone in this room would recognize that the heat we enjoy, the lights, the everything we get, it has been a blessing from you. And so Lord, we recognize your hand, but Lord, we're not gonna rest just at this place. We've stayed here this season. Now it's time to consider how we're gonna press forward. It's time to consider what you're calling us to do. It's time to consider what that means personally and corporately. Lord, I want the best for every single person. If I could do it for them, I would. I really would. But Lord, they have to trust you on their own. They have to respond to you on their own. And Lord, as a church, Lord, there has to be a, a, a covenant of salt. There has to be, like Abraham of old, who, who asked you, Lord, how many would it take in order to stay your hand and and then he entered into a negotiation. I know there's a covenant of salt here, Lord, in this room. I don't know how many, but Lord, I know there's a covenant of people here that will agree with me for this, and this season, and these opportunities. To believe you for resource. To not just meet need, but to propel us to the cause. Not just to, to pay the bills and relax and say... Wow, it's good. There's no stress. But Lord, to begin to cause us to move toward a destiny. Lord, help us to get that revelation. Help them right now to know that you don't need anything from them. But they need everything from you. 
They need absolutely everything from you. So, Lord, I believe this is not just a good people. I've pronounced that over them more times than I can count. They're a good people, yes. But now I begin to declare prophetically, they are a great people. Listen to me. Listen to me. You are a great people. You are a great people. You are an uncommon people. You may think yourself to be ordinary. I declare you extraordinary. Greatness is in your veins because God is in your heart. Greatness is in your mind because the mind of Christ is in you. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not below. Hallelujah. Your enemy may come against you one way. He will scatter in seven. You are blessed in your barns and in your baskets. Nations will rise and call you blessed. I don't care how you feel. I'm declaring what God says. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Lord, thank you for working in our hearts. And Lord, it's going to be applied 200 different ways. But Lord, let it be applied this morning. I'm going to ask real quickly before we go. I do this one more time. If you don't know the Lord this morning, I remember Frank Harvey preached the story. Forgive me, I'm taking an extra minute or two. Frank Harvey preached the story one time. He even said, he said, I taught on tithing and 10 people came forward and gave their heart to Jesus. Right now, if you need to give your heart to Jesus, there's the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And if you need to do that, you need to do that publicly right now. So on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to just say, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I need to, I need to get my life in order right now before I go this morning. And, and we'll pray with you before you go. I'm going to release the congregation, but if there's someone here, just one, it, it's enough. It's, it can just be you and me. And we can get you. We can get you positioned for what needs to happen. On the count of three, don't, hey, don't you think about it. Don't you sit there and argue in your mind. Right now, you just say, I'm getting right with God because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm getting my life back in divine order so, so I can be under the blessing. I Don't you think about it. You just say, I'm going for it on the count of three. Don't you let your mind say stop. Let your feet take you right here, right now on the count of three. One, two, three. Do it, do it. Do it. Alright. Alright. Thank you, Lord, right now. I thank you, Lord. You're working. You're doing your will. Lord, bless these, your people, right now. Thank you, Lord. You're a good God and doing great things in our life. Help us to be stirred for the future, excited about what you're doing just around the corner. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap. Amen. All right, guys. I want you just to love each other. Turn around. Tell somebody they're blessed. They're an overcomer. God's doing good things. Be an encourager to someone. Amen. And then you're released. We'll see you on the Lord's Day next Sunday. Yeah, man.